This is the Garden School Podcast. Talk to my baby. Word on, and she's way down the line. Seem like the buses done stop running, and the trains don't allow me to ride no more. The buses don't stop running. Don't lie, ride no more. Peace. Welcome back to another episode of the Garden School Podcast. I'm your host, JD, and I got my good friend Miles back for a conversation on the Torah. It's our second conversation, and it's a special conversation because we recorded it on Rosh Hashanah or the Jewish New Year. We'll be talking about Genesis and Samuel. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And remember, subscribe to the page on iTunes and leave us a review. The really cool thing is, is I, uh, I, 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 was, I was in New York and on my flight back, there was an Orthodox Jew who, like, in the middle of the flight, he wasn't a Hasidic, he was Orthodox. So he was wearing plain clothes. He had a right. yarmulke on. And uh, in the middle of the flight, he pulls out the black, the white and black shroud, puts it over his head, um, and then he tied this leather thing to his arms, and then on his head was like a. I don't know what. Do you know anything about that? With the, it's like the black cube with the with the, there's Hebrew on it, and like I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't. I I don't know. No, the, the formality. It was like so strange and like otherworldly. He tied a lot it. of that stuff is. Yeah, I think that you're supposed to do that during the week of Rosh Hashanah. I'm not sure why though. Yeah, that's such a different way to live when you're so um, locked in, in terms of like you know those rituals. Not even really. I don't even think there's really a matter of sort of like uh, do or don't. Right. It's just something you probably have been. You know, it's just kind of grafted onto your onto your sense of what it is to to be a human being. You know, it's like eating. But, I mean, it's like eating but, blueberries for a snack. Oh, exactly, exactly. But but there's this whole kind of obviously like a ethical and sort of it's just like a very intense dimension to it. But it is like eating blueberries at the same. You know, it's really funny you say that because the guy, dude, like I couldn't take my eyes off him. I was transfixed because. <laughs> First of all, he was like he was like a handsome looking guy and his wife was gorgeous. They had a little baby with them. They just looked so I mean they're both wearing normal clothes for all another per- so you know, they just looked completely like anybody else. And then in the middle of the flight he gets up and he performs his ritual and it's just it was like ah, I was so captivating. Yeah, that's it's, that's it's just uh... so strange and like in the middle of it like there was a kind of a routine aspect to it because, like, in the middle of it, I could tell he was like yelling at his wife about something and then going back and doing it. And I oh, watched yeah. the whole thing, man. He read, so he read from Torah and then he read from the Talmud. 
and then he put wow, every, and then he put everything that's away. Wild too, because that's so uh, it's the perfect uh, in between sort of scenario, right? Where you're, you, I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's there's very few situations more secular than just being on a plane. Yeah, I'm sure everybody was play, playing like Candy Crush, like you know, half the planes playing Candy Crush or watching the complimentary movie. Yeah, and this guy's like, you know howling, or you know, he's like you know. You ever hear the you know that very ugly way in which in which um like what's the word like uh, I can't remember the, like um the cantor sings or like you know like the how like the the like Hebraic style of prayer is so much uglier but kind of more passionate if you've ever been to a service yeah than you know, kind of more measured style you might find in in like a Christian church yeah it's like it's gr- it's it's like guttural. It's like you know, it's, it's, it's very What's that? Yeah, it's it's all in the throat. It's all in the throat, but it's also like there's not even an attempt for beautification. You know, it's it's really what you would do if you were talking to God in, in absolute private, and you didn't care whatsoever. That it's like somebody almost if they were saying something. Repeat that last part again, because I lost you. Oh, I just said yeah. I mean, there's just not even any attempts for like a. You know, for for you know, for it to be appealing on a social level, you know, it's the most private sort of kind of conversation with with you know, in terms of uh, in terms of trying. I don't know. No, that's it's a really good point, though. That's a really good point. Where most, and I, I think that's an that's interesting in the in, in contrast of some of the stories we've been reading for the Torah portions. Like last week, you, you see kind of the move from right uh, a religion that's really kind of these individuals wrestling with god to like now they're trying to establish an actual um right like a, a tribe that has these certain rituals and right and then moses passes the laws on to jonathan um right and there's all and there's all this or kind joshua. of or joshua i'm sorry i keep messing that up for some reason um and then even today you see like there's the whole move too with with samuel now samuel is going to try to establish the kingdom Right, right. So it right. seems to be like that's like one of the the the, the big problems of, of of the Jewish tradition is um, how to transfer this individual experience onto a group or onto a body. Right, right. Um, while still keeping it as pure. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So the three patriarchs, right, um, of the. Um, of the you know of the of Genesis, I remember William Blake called them gigantic forms, um, like or there that. is a sense in which they're different than normal men, right? They're they are in some sense like they're somewhere between normal men and symbolic kind of um, devices, right? We'll talk about that a little. I think that's interesting. Oh well, I mean, I you know the most crucial thing is how they they talk to to, to God in a more. Um, uh, cl- much closer to, to a face-to-face experience, right? So right. that's why I once said one way to read to to read the biblical kind of the long romance of the biblical story is a gradual alienation, right? Or which is a, a gradual departure of God from the world, but but in very gradual, in very very gradual steps, right? And all those steps are crucial, right? I mean, from the very beginning. Where, where you know even the creation itself in some ways is is a, is a departure from the world in, in, in the sense of absent absenting oneself from what one's made right well there's like almost like a god, god exiling himself out of his own creation right through that act or the uh, or the act of limitation 
Yeah, well, that that's that's the late, that's what the Kabbalistic interpretation will be, but it's already there to be had already in kind of even the the the, the narrative itself, right? That you know, even it, it, even the divine word always kind of um, is going to be is going to separate. You know, creation is going to separate um, the creator in some sense from what he's created. Always, right? There's always that, you know, which is just a, something very. Um, um, very grounded. It's a very grounded thing when you're concerned with art, right? Which is, you know, that's what the romantics realize is that most of what we can say about creation um, can also be, uh, the language can be taken and applied to what we say about artists, right? Because when you say about what what's what's in common between the artist and what the artist has made, and why why are they why are they so different sometimes, right? Why why can such you know why can is there any similarity between what one's made and what one is? And that's, you know, a very difficult question, right? Because the first thing you find is that, you know, um, if you come from a certain line of thought, right, um, an artist's life might reveal nothing about what they've made. It might, it might obscure what they've made in a certain, in a certain way if, you, if you're too interested in finding out about their life just as is, you know? Right. Um, and then there's like the Yeatsian idea where it might be the opposite of their life, right? Where... Um, the most timid person might write courageous stories um, out of a certain need for 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 roundness or fulfillment or be, or because the soul is greater than what one experiences within one's own one's own life. So that person who you think uh, cowardly might write courageous stories, and the 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 man who's kind of lethargic might write very excited stories, and the active man of the world might write contemplative stories. Um, and in that way, um, things are rounded in a way that where, where, where the story isn't simply of an expression of something you can call in, this, in the reductive fashion life as is. Because right. that's always the stupid notion when people say, like, life is more interesting than the story because the story is just um, – is just, you know, life is the thing that's interesting whereas the story is just, you know, like mimetic or it's just like a representation. I'm interested in life. Right. Which, which a lot of people say it's just a very crude thing. They don't realize what they're saying because what the story is is the story is, is really just something that gives you um, it gives you eyes. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's not just you know that's why you know Harold Bloom always said that. Like he said, for me, literature is life itself. Right? Was his right. big when people said, "Why are you not interested in life? Why are you?" Interested? But it's like saying you know you're you're more interested in in the vista than the way you look at it, right? What does that even mean? I'm more interested in the sea than the things I can say about it or the things I can see within it. What could that possibly mean? What is the sea other than the things you can say about it or the things you can see within it? Right. No, I, I feel like that is a that's a weak attempt at people to make come up with a like um an aphorism that sounds wise but really just kind of la- uh, points to their own deficiencies in reading probably. And it's one of the kind of work, one of the one of the not so good um, kind of um, outcomes of of romanticism, like not the romanticism that, that I'm more interested in, which is like you know the, the writers of that particular time, but just in the sense of the cult of personality that arises out of these these individuals of that time, you know, where you know the cult of like individual genius, for instance. It's very different when you see that in the sense of like a Wordsworth or something who's going to respond to like Milton in a, in a, in a way that modifies Milton. Or something. But it's very different from that than like than like the beat poets, for instance, right? 
where where um you know, I mean, not to say that, that that they don't have any chops whatsoever, but people are much more interested in their lives than their work. Right. 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 Um, Especially since their lives were so kind like, of. No, I was gonna say since their lives were so kind of full of pop culture, especially the beats. Yeah, well, like Bukowski's like the model of that, right? Or, or it's just a problem because you very soon, the artist is interesting or compelling as like a, as like, as a, like a, rebel. a, yeah, a rebel, a dissenter from society, right? Not as a maker, right? And it's really interesting to think about the kind of the Jew in this context because, um. Essentially, the, the, these whoever these storytellers are that are writing these these stories for us, they are they are an artist, right? And they are trying to weave these things together that have nothing to do with their identity. You have no idea who the writers of these stories are, right? It's completely yeah. devoid of identity and subjectivity. Yeah, and even there's like um, I'm trying to remember. It's just like it's a very simple word, but like um, there's the device that. That's pretty common in, um, in, in, in in antiquity in general, but especially in Judaism, like you'll find it in the prophets. Um, there's a word for it, I just, I just can't remember right now, but it's where you, even when you write, you'll take the name of a familiar sort of archetypal figure. So for instance, like we have like, um, you know, like the pseudo Longinus who writes like, uh, you know, who takes upon himself a, a figure or the pseudo Ezra, or the pseudo Enoch, where where you'll attribute authority to an authorial myth rather than your own presence, right? So uh, I think it's pseudopigraphy. I think it's what it's called. Um, but but just the sense of even even there, the mask in its most um, kind of unadulterated form that even this utterance is going to be authorized underneath the sanctity or the authority not of my own name or ability but of something else outside of myself maybe beyond myself and certainly before myself you know Mm. so then kind of the person tapping into that it kind of acts like a cipher it is exactly that a cipher but a cipher that already comes with like sometimes it's even its own like poetic language right a poetic sensibility um an archetypal sensibility, you know, like we talked about last week or, or, or last portion, like Isaiah as the like archetypal prophet in the sense he's the only prophet who um, actually um, is represented in, in the histories. You know, he's um, um, the other prophets are, 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 are later, most of them, you know, so. Um, but to take upon yourself, like, you know, what it would mean today would be like, I mean, if, for instance, let's say you were very dedicated to Black Lives Matter in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And you were interested in the figure of John Brown, but not as an historical figure in the fact that you wanted to... Because I have I have an African studies professor here, a guy I like a lot. He's, he's a very fascinating guy, but he's um, he does science fiction. He worked with uh, Samuel Delaney, but he himself is a black man who teaches... He teaches African studies, and his thing was... You know, the one white man who I who he really respected in terms was John Brown. Right. Who who put his life on the line, you know, in a, in a way that that was that was not abstract. Right. That wasn't simply working in the realm of ideas, but he put his life on the line in terms of in terms of in terms of his in leading a revolt. Right. You're talking about John Brown, the abolitionist, right? John Brown, the abolitionist. Right. 
So, so you know, the the kind of thing we would be talking about would be. So is that his just archetypal say, perfect white guy? Um, or you would think about it as you know, not the perfect white guy necessarily, but 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 one in which somebody who um who went further than some others at the time in terms of actually risking something of his own in terms of his um, in terms of being, uh, uh, sharing a solidarity with their struggle right. right right i bring this up for a simple reason though right like what would it mean to look at these historical figures whichever whichever ones one admires or doesn't is personal but to actually consider them very carefully and to consider what they would do in this in the sense of metempsychosis but not requiring a belief in metempsychosis what would they do were they here and what would they say and then how could i um borrow upon that authority or even in a weird way merge with that authority should i be um understanding enough of the of, of what they had to offer to take upon myself whatever i want i want to claim for myself of their approach you know yeah, I think that's probably that has to be one of the reasons why they, uh, why the tradition does this these weekly readings, right? To kind of r- remind yourselves of of these people, and um, and to kind of yeah. to yeah to make it possible to align yourself with the proper action, um, as much as yeah, you can. And, and, and it's very interesting. Right? It gets to a very um, post postmodern place, really. Um, in a very loose sense of postmodern, but just in the sense, you know, I, I just got off the phone with my mom, and we're just talking about this, and she says, yeah, in Rosh Hashanah, I remember, or maybe she's talking about, um, I think Rosh Hashanah, but says, we always dip the apples in honey, and there's like a little treat. She says, right. I have no idea why we do that. Right. And, right. you know, and that's and that's an interesting sense to it. It has to be, you know, um, you know, I, there, there's a lot interesting, you know, as great as it is person who left israel or you're still in the mediterranean and you have like a, a living knowledge of, of all the history that's transpired there there's, there's a lot to learn to from, from the modern predicament um where maybe even a very small or echo of of a certain tradition exists and maybe maybe there's a little memory of why you do it maybe there's not any memory of why you do it and maybe the memory is not even important maybe the the visceral action of just doing the things are, is what uh, is like the the cleansing or is the sanctifying process is the action. Well, I would think. I mean, that that's that seems meaningful to me. I would think that the memory was the reason that the action came into being to begin with. That's my sense of it. Um, but there's something beautiful about. For me, it's like uh, I don't know about about wanting to remember. You know, or, or or putting yourself in a position in which at least you could, even when you can't. You know, it's you know you go on a long journey to 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 find something valuable, and you maybe don't find it. Right. You know, but there's there's something very meaningful. It's like you know, or you try to summon something um, valuable by doing, and, and maybe it doesn't arise because you don't really know how to how to reach it anymore. Um, well, yeah, I mean, look at the kind of the the the, the strange exile that like the, re- the reformed Jew finds themselves in right like a Jew in America or a Jew in any western yep. country is so locked out for really good reasons in history of these memories and the rituals for safety reasons yeah 
Yeah, and that's why, you know, like someone like Bloom or, or, or a Jewish scholar would always say that Judaism as a religion that we practice is younger than Christianity, right? Because what he means is that, like, rabbinical Judaism, which really only arises after the destruction of, uh, I guess, what would be the third temple. Um, it's like almost is, medieval. What's that? It's like almost kind of – like any, well, I'm thinking like it's like around like almost medieval because every time I'm looking up a rabbi, these rabbis are writing around like the 1100s. Well, I think it's around like – I think the destruction of the third temple is like 165. Let me look it up. It's it's the same time as like um, as like um, Rabbi Akiva. But let me let me look it up. Um, cause th- but the main point is that that's when like a, an actual site, you know, like something that we could actually call a presence in terms of actual land, actual place, no longer can possibly be – um, retained, right? Uh, that's gone now. Even the rebuilding project is put indefinitely on hold until the very bizarre situation of the 20th century, which 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 is the the weirdest disaster, one of the weirder disasters in human history, is this 2,000 years of exile and then a return, and then and then the crisis, which is which which is arisen out of that. The return is to Israel and this whole the conflict now in the Middle East. Yeah, 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 and just the way that Western powers really um, orchestrated that, right? Because, and just in terms of like, um, and that was literally that was really Christianity driving that. And when you think about it, yeah, well, you think about the Treaty of Versailles and how it was the dominant Western powers pretty much doling out land, right? Because, because you totally. know, um, the the land was really partitioned, no different than India, by the Western powers who who decided who you know who was who was going to inherit that lands that I think the, that the Turks right had occupied right. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look up that the group of Zionists that tried to found the state of Israel, they're all German, Swiss, you know, French, English. Yeah, and I know that that land had been. Um, had been promised to both nations. Right. So, but let me see, like, um... Well, that seems... Well, you look up the date first, and then I'll, I'll get to my point, because I just had, like, a little bit of... I think it is. It is basically that, but, um... 1086. Yeah, he, he died... Yeah, Rabbi Akiva, he dies in 135, so I was about 10 years off, so it's 135, rather. But that's just the just, just, just the last, um... The last siege, I think, of the, of the destruction of the Third Temple. Okay. Well, what I was going to say is what's interesting to me is the whole concept of Judaism and this word Israel that we talked about, which is the struggle with God, right? And if you think about just Jewish history and kind of this continual, it seems to be like a a momentary unity with God, a little bit of uh, serenity, and then almost a constant break, a constant going back to exile. Right, right, right. right. Well, yeah, definitely. All of these revolutions of coming together, there's peace, and then there's there's a fracture, and then back to the destruction, back to exile. Where it seems like that's almost right. That that again is that that's the human story. That that's almost what it means to be human, human searching for a god or, or a human attempting to establish a religious order. Right. There's always like a moment, yeah. momentary connection or a momentary unity, and then it's almost continually lost in this kind of a state of exile, not knowing where you're going, not knowing where you're headed, right? A lot of um, there's fraction and there's uh, you're fraught with peril, whether it's with your family or, 
or within like an individual crisis of some sort, and that's the the age long human story. Yeah, well, that's well, that, that that's. The, let me just correct myself first. I, the okay. second temple is destroyed in seventy A.D. Right. By so, the um, by the uh, not the Assyrians. It, it, it's the Persians, right? The second temple. Yeah. No, I think the second temple. I think it's destroyed by Roman. By the Romans. Yeah, that's that's seventy A.D. Um, but then the execution of Rabbi Akiva. Yeah, the Jerusalem Temple by, destroyed by the Romans in seventy A.D. And they so execute Rabbi. So much rabbi? Of, what's that? The Romans they they execute Akiva. Yeah, that they ex they execute him on one hundred thirty five. So that's the it's called the Bar Kokhba, but you know Simon Simon um my, like my name I I think it's I don't never never know how to say it in like Hebrew. I know it's Hebrew is like Shimon, but it's like Simeon Ben Ben Kaziba or Bar Kokhba. So there's the revolution. Where he where he's martyred, um, Barco this leader that that Akiba and Akiba, um, it's a revolution against the Romans essentially after, uh, but the, but the temple had already been destroyed in seventy, yeah. So that's why the the timeline's a little confusing for me, but um, but rabbinic rabbinic Judaism essentially um, is kind of uh, comes after that, yeah. And the, what's really cool is we have um. We have some great stories for today's Torah portion, right? Yeah, well, it seems like, um, yeah, this stuff is very much, I would, you know, very, very short portions, right? Very short portions and very, um, yeah, it seems like they all kind of, um, they're all um, circling around certain themes, I guess, certain certain themes related to the new year, right? Yeah, so we have, um... Just for continuity, we have we have sections from Genesis, we have sections from Numbers, and then it ends with sections from Samuel. Right. And one of the cool things is this is just kind of like a little side thing that I've, I I I'm always connecting names and numbers. I know I pay attention to this kind of stuff almost like um, superstitiously. But the guy that took me and and uh, Lilo to the airport on Wednesday, his name was Isaac Sadiq. Oh wow! Which I found so to be a sweaty too, like whole, like a holy person, like a holy person. Yeah. So, um, yeah, right. And then, and then Isaac, right, which is who we're talking about today. Right, um, right, or um, or at least right, because the two portions, um, kind of like um, you know, in some ways, well, what they really circle around is a divine birth, right? Divine birth, yeah, and then the, just the, one of the things. But, I but love. in the secular sense, right? Not in like the old, um, not in the old. Let's call it, um, let's just call it pantheistic sense of 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 of, of you know of a god fathering fathering. But but this is more. I mean, this is totally secular, but it still is in some. It's a it's a weird halfway between you know the god that fathers a, a hero or a king. And um, and simple reproduction as we understand it, right? So it's a weird, it's a weird kind of place between those. Yeah, I love that two point. kind of that, developments, right? Yeah, I, that's a really interesting point to bring up because the way I kind of um, the way that I look at the whole thing is Isaac in Hebrew means laughter, right? And then right. I was thinking about this in the context of my driver, who was essentially righteous, right? Righteous laughter. 
Right. And I think that is kind of what the miracle is, right? And that's why I think I love that you said it's secular, right? Because Isaac being born is kind of this righteous laughter in the face of everything telling you that it's not going to go this way, right? Kind of the, the heavy exactly. weight, the heavy reality of existence, right? And then this kind right. of surprising thing happens, and there is a humor, there is a, a like a weightless joy involved in that that I love. Yeah, well, that's that's why you know it, the paradox is perfect here, right? Because um, because um, the the Yitzhak, right, or the laughter, it's it comes in that famous passage where Sarah has let the angels into her tent, right? Right. Which is probably you know one of the most pregnant, probably of all passages in terms of just how much is going on. It's one of those passages, biblical passages, where there's so much going on, right? Right. Um, but the laughter of Sarah when she hears that she's going to conceive is incredibly ambiguous, right? Because partially, like you said, it's partially this weightless laughter, and it's partially a bitter laugh um, in terms of somebody who has been refused Right. After so many years of um, promise, has been refused something, and now all of a sudden, you can imagine, like, uh, just like let's let's give a secular counterpart in Rodney Dangerfield, right? Good old <laughs> Rodney, comedian Rodney, only in his late late forties, and I'm sure there's a lot of people we could think of. I mean, Abraham's a great example, right? But who only really became a famous comic in his late forties. But you could think about writers who wrote their whole lives and only and you could imagine being on your deathbed and somebody running in and saying, you know, you're you're number one in the New York Times, you know, at when let's say that, you know, you know, that your mentor as a young person had been Franz Kafka or something. And that he said that you were the greatest writer in Europe. Right. And nobody gave a fuck about what you've done. And you're laying there dying and somebody runs in and tells you, you know, that. Well, there is something really – there is something almost, yeah, like divinely funny about this obsession that humans have with timeliness, right? Um, because we're so caught up in our own moments. But like when something does happen like that so out of the ordinary, the only thing to do – and that's why I love that they name the child laughter. Like the only thing you can really do is laugh, right? Because it's there, it kind of uh, – Yeah, yeah. And, and just – the laughter is just great because if I'm uh, ambiguous. You sincerely is right. Say that again. I mean, the laughter. I think just just the, what I love most about the laughter is is also just how ambiguous it is, right? Yeah, and that, that's what what's what we love about laughter in general, anyway, right? Is right. It it it, it 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 lightens something that is that is almost at its best, very heavy, and usually not what you would call not a laughing matter, right? Those those are the things that that give us the most relief, really, right? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. What a great moment for a little Jewish humor, right? I mean, what's less funny than a woman who's been trying her whole life to have children and she's been barren her whole life? Exactly. And now when she's not when not only when she's in old age, her husband is is, you know, he's a hundred as the story goes in kind of in this kind of a, a almost almost effortlessly now she's conceived right because the holy spirit pays her a visit the whole thing is absurd exactly um one thing and I, then, and, go ahead 
and well, there's also you know, I mean that the uh, the notion. I think it was um, especially. Um, I think especially um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Martin Buber, right? The the, the German thinker um, considered the the kind of crucial aspects of uh, maybe Jewish thought in particular. Maybe 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 even even more more than that was the. Um, the moment in which the stranger crosses the threshold, or letting the stranger into one's house, right? Um, which right. Um, right, which shows kind of Abraham right that moment where he can either try to fight them off or or welcome them in and clean their feet, and he cleans their feet exactly, exactly. Which even has a kind of parallel I know in, in Greek thought and the kind of tradition of Zeno, so the tra- tradition of you know that any stranger might be the god passing through passing through uh um your area right and, and also just the idea um another ritualistic idea kind of i alluded to already in, t- in some ways of preparing always a clean table even when nobody arrives because something might arrive that day yeah right yeah even that is still steeped in middle middle eastern tradition is still steeped in that you can show up at any one of my dad's sister's houses. It could be right. any time of the day. There's so much food, dry nuts and 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 uh, fruits on the table. It looks like she's expecting thirty people to show up. Yeah, yeah. Or the people with like you know their good china, right? You know, yeah. who have that, who have it always ready to go, but never use it. But they just there's just a notion that that. And it does usually arrive, but sometimes, you know, it might arrive more mysteriously than you would expect where, where those things, where you're going to pull those things out, you know, or you're going to, or you're going to, and then just the, the, the metaphoric leap um, in terms of living your life in a way that, right. that, that, that has a kind of cleanliness related to that kind of uh, mode of preparation, you know? Yeah, I mean, just to bring up another cultural thing, like the Bedouin tradition, right? This is very Arab tradition of giving the best cuts of meat to your guest. Right, like you sit down with Bedouins, they'll pick the best pieces of the goat and they'll hand them to you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's so some, that's why there's something to me so visceral to these kind of stories of of um of of acting if the other acting as if the other is some something divine. Like I wonder. Right. Well, that's what angel means, right? Angel means messenger. Right. Right, but I just wonder. I just. Why? 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 Who start? You know, is is this a reflection of the first time in humanity this happened? Right, like these 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 emanations that we have as stories, do they reflect to a first time? Because everything in our nature kind of tells you to do the opposite. Yeah, well, I think that's a, a huge part of the religious um, epiphany, and why it can't be simply kind of. Um, reduced to the most simple aspects of like a, of an evolutionary psych perspective is because I do think a lot of it is in fact beginning reflections on what had been unthinkingly repeated in like let's say a like in a um animal in, in the animal past right, right? before reflection re- reaches a pitch point right. where one can, can decide to behave differently right yeah. You know, I, I read a I, re- I read one of uh, Rishi, uh, Rashi's commentary where he talks yeah. about Sarah actually being uh, or Abraham being inferior to Sarah in prophecy. 
There's hmm. a moment where uh, Hold on let me see if I can find it Just bear with me a second Oh yeah Alright, so just those are, just for our listeners, just to kind of keep them up to date, um, for the Torah reading portion today, we're reading parts of Genesis, specifically chapters uh, 21 through 34, and this is the story of, of Abraham and Isaac, or I'm sorry, Abraham and Sarah, when, um, when God gives Sarah, he grants her childbirth in very old age, right? And uh, one of the reasons is because uh, I, uh, Abraham already has a... A baby. He has a child with his housemaid, right? The Egyptian woman Hagar. So I want to look for the line. Hold on. Okay, so it's actually it's in the third portion, chapter twenty-one, verse twelve. It says, And God said to Abraham, Be not displeased concerning the lad and concerning your handmaid, right? So this is when um, this is when Sarah tells him, Listen, I, when I, our son is going to inherit, um, he'll inherit your lands. He'll, he'll be your inheritance. Not, not Hagar's son, right? Right. And then it says, and then God said to Abraham, whatever Sarah tells you, hearken to her voice for an Isaac will be called your seed. And what was interesting is Rashi's commentary in there says that, um, let me find this exactly what he says. Yeah, it says, uh, we learn from here that Abraham was inferior to Sarah in prophecy. Which I connected to the laughter. Right? And again, that's why you. I think it's interesting you said that the, the laughter is so ambiguous. Because, right, it is kind of, you can take it as, is it a laughter of incredulity, right? Like, is she just, this is way too absurd? Or is there a laughter that knows and kind of, or believes, or right, or has faith? Right, well, that's the kind of, like, knife-edge balance um, of any kind of uh, complicated, subtle, paradoxical um, formulation. Right. Right. It's right on the knife-edge between the two, right, which is what makes it a transcendent moment, right? Right, right. Um, Right, like, if it was obvious what she was doing, it wouldn't be as... um it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't have the weight. No, no. Well, that's what that's what translation does that stories aren't interested in doing whatsoever, right? Right. Um, I mean, so, you know, um, well, it's interesting even because I know um, Sarah kind of encourages um, Abraham to procreate, right? So I'm with sure there's Hagar. Been, with Hagar, right? So I'm sure there's, 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 I'm sure there's a ton of commentary about that, too. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole different kind of strand, right? Uh, The whole different kind of strand of the story, but yeah, the obvious thing, right, is that it is kind of like, um, it is, it's like an offshoot in a certain sense, right? That they have a mission to have a child between themselves, obviously, that is the the child that's going to continue, and to fulfill upon what God has promised Abraham. Right. 
but instead they have a different child who also was a founder of nations, right? Just not their own nations. Right. Right. So, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, uh, how many, how many times has that happened where, um, where somebody attempts to do something remarkable and they fail utterly, but something else remarkable comes <laughs> out of, out of that's way more common than that, than that someone um, decides upon a mark and then hits the mark. Right. Yeah. Right. And and that's why what, what the great thing about that is the response that is almost always laughter. Right. A different kind of laughter, and I, and I believe there is even laughter in that episode of a different kind too, if I remember correctly. I don't have my I don't have my uh, the book before me, but um, there might there might be a laughter. I know Ishmael means pretty much the same thing as my last name. You know. Um, which it means he has hearkened in the sense that God has answered um, because that finally there's been the fulfillment at least of offspring mm. right e- even though it's not the offspring necessarily that comes out of this this union that that um, that is the destined union but it's something at least it's something it's something it's you know right um, and just the divinity or the power in the something rather than nothing right? Yeah, rather than nothing and, um, yeah, uh, it, it's an interesting episode. Like, I, I, that would be, you know, maybe a different time we can go back to that because all this stuff is so, um, you know, fairly pregnant with meaning. But, um, but yeah, I can see. So, so the, the notion is just that Sarah is more prophetic because she had a greater, because she, she realized that. Or she had faith for longer in terms of that that, that she would that she would conceive someday. Hmm. Okay. Is that is that what you, is that what you're saying? I mean, is that what Rashi's saying? I mean, his commentary is so bare. That's all. All, I, all he says is what I read. I, I'm just. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I just. I don't, I'm. I'm learning to get comfortable in the mystery. Yeah. Right. My, my brain just always wants to try to analyze and overanalyze and figure out what that means, and you know, it just kind of. Um, Learning to be comfortable in, in the paradox and just the the in just the the not knowing and just the experience of it is is I'm trying to learn how to do. Yeah, but some of it, I mean, there are difficult things or or things that you know that um that might be easier to parse if you had like you know absolute expertise in these texts. Oh, for sure. But the crucial thing is parallel um, Sarah's birth for Rosh Hashanah, the miraculous birth of old age. Or the fulfillment of a promise, crucially, after many years of postponement, is paralleled with Hannah, who was barren, giving birth. So these two pseudo, uh, I want to say that, are like quasi-miraculous births, right? Because they're not purely miraculous in the sense that we, like like I said early on, but they are But they are miraculous in the sense of, of God's fulfillment, Um when 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 it was least expected, um, right? Take, uh, taking root, right? That's what makes it miraculous. Is the is the unex is the not expecting? Well, is the not expecting? Um, you know, um, but while maintaining faith, and is that symbolic? Definitely, and there's a symbology that kind of runs through this of Jerusalem or Israel as a woman. Or presence, or the earth, even itself, as a woman, um, waiting for a certain kind of fulfillment, which is like I think, like a deadbeat daddy. <laughs> <It's not> like, <laughs> uh, 
No, but like a man who, you know, a man who you've been waiting, you know, like the, the woman always seems to be just waiting. Waiting. For some kind of male principle to arrive that never seems to be quite on time, you know? Yeah, right. And even in the Bible, God is late over and over and over again. Yeah, God is late. And even, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, feminists can look at this as whatever they want, even though it's, you know, it is it is a um, it's not natural. You know, it is a it's it is like um, it is there's this whole system of metaphorics, why the land should be associated with a woman. Um, well, just because there are some easy analogical similarities, right? The giving of the earth most the way the earth opens and either allows or doesn't allow um, a year of, of, of plenty, right? That, that, that's always where it begins, right? Everything begins in the agricultural. And we can get to that in a second because that's kind of a, a crucial part of, of, of what, we'll, what um, this, this week's about. Well, go ahead. I don't want to stop you. You're on a roll. Well, no, I mean, we'll just get there when we talk about uh, numbers. But, but I'll just kind of mention something. But, like, um, yeah, just the crucial thing is just um, the the notion of a woman, Israel, Jerusalem, who will only be, in a sense, who is awaiting for ideal conditions of consummation. And that consummation depends upon a faithfulness of a different aspect of reality, which is symbolic, which is symbolically um, considered male. Right. Why that is, there's a lot of reasons. Right. But that's the way it runs, at least when you're when you're reading these things. Right. Oh, the the why is almost not that interesting at at this point, right? I think it's interesting. It's just um or not interesting. I'm sorry. It's just not important at this point. Well, even with the story of Hannah, you'll see how her husband. There's always a, a weird, and this is what like the, you know the, the Leslie Fielder said talked about uh, the Trinity being rooted in the cuckolding narrative, right? <laughs> Which. <laughs> you know, just just in the sense of, of of triplets, right? That there's the man, his lover, and then the outside party, right? Right. You know, in terms of in terms of like you know, in Chaucer, like for instance, will we'll, we'll play upon that. You know, it's very it's very humorous, right? But in like the the um, the divine narratives, there is a sense of like uh, a weird sense in which the man is not sufficient. You know, where the, the husband himself claims that he should be enough for Hannah, that, that that a child isn't necessary, but she's devoted herself to God, rather. Right, right, right. right. And that's where the insufficiency comes in, right? The man is not a replacement for God. Or exactly, for, or right, for right, faith, right. or for faith, or for the religious perspective, whatever it is. Right, which which in her case means, right, which is related to the child that she's going to... Uh, devote to the Nazarene, right, or or devote to the Nazarene oaths, right? right. In terms of never touching his head with a razor, right, right, right. Um, like Samson, right, right. So that and so, there's a direct line between Sarah and Hannah in these stories, right? They both go through these similar events, and they both get surprised with childbirth. Yeah, and that's the crucial. That's the crucial analogy, and it's crucially related to the new year. Right. Right. In the sense of um, 
what seems to be a pretty constant um, thematics, first agricultural and, and then kind of um, transmuted to a different sphere, to a religious sphere in terms of the notion of will this year give forth or not, right? That is always what's 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 first at stake, first in, in agricultural terms, mm. then in, in religious terms, right? Yeah, right, and and to keep going, right, the the birth itself is kind of a return from exile, right? There's no more alienation because the, the, the body has been kind of unified with the spirit, right, and that gets embodied in the baby. Exactly. Um... I think it's, it's like we said last time. It's very funny, right? That because when you think of that, of all the things that God asks uh, uh, or prohibits, I can't remember how many um, prohibitions there are. Or, or I think it's misbot right there. I think it's like six hundred fifteen. Or and and I mentioned how the how the thou not far earlier than the thou shalt, right? Even yeah. the first thou shalt that I'm aware of is a negation. Thou shalt surely die, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that it, right? But the one thing that God does command Be fruitful and, and multiply, multiply. <laughs> When yeah. you think about how funny it is Like how much like the Mormons Or like uh, You know like how, 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 how much the heart You know certain kind of like uh, You know um, Especially kind of like I think Mormons in particular Like um you know, how, 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 Muslims and polygamy, or the multiple exactly, wives. Exactly, just that notion of because I think that to, for me that is a very much like a. I think that's a place where I think as I said this already where evolutionary psychology is useful, right? Which is people are trying to justify why. Obviously, we have a desire to procreate that has nothing to do with what's willed, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. But that, then there's a secondary human level on which we want to justify it, right? That 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 it's that on a different level than an animal level, right? That and that this is where the concept of inheritance comes in, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually I like that's really well put. Well, even the promise is like and even what I can't remember the exact words, right? But it's essentially like your your the seeds will be like the stars in heaven or the sands right in the sense of in the sense of infinite pro- proliferation right more life right that's really what, what what's at stake here is the is the promise is for more life right, right? so it's, so that's really what it's about especially in the old testament is if you do these things um if you um circumcise yourself or circum both circumcise and circumscribe right if you limit yourself in certain ways then you get a whole lot, right? You get a whole lot more, yeah. And your and your um and your ancestors also get this, in, uh, have this possibility to inherit this plenty, right? Right. I mean, and, and to tie it again to like this, uh, the evolutionary um, biology aspect. If if that is the the first time where humans really abstracted and conceptualized the idea of sacrifice, man, what a beautiful epiphany! Yeah, well, that's why I thought we would talk about when we when, just like when we briefly talk about numbers. Let's do that. that okay, let's do that. Let's gonna finish there. So, okay, so we can say that. So, let me just say first about Samuel, though. Sure. So, just very quickly, right? So here's just 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 some interesting things, right? And this is from Herbert Marx, um, 
So he mentioned so the art of reading biblical narrative. This is a direct quote from him is in large part a matter of training oneself to recognize covert parallels, which several generations of writer redactors have superimposed in a vast collage. Right. I've said that many times, but that's the entire art. That's really maybe the entire art of reading in general. If you come from a, is the ability to recognize parallels and what's slightly different between one thing and another, right? Right. You know, it's like, I think that this really goes to absolutely everything in life. You know when I'm blind is when I meet a man and I say, this man also listens to Wu-Tang and must be Justin again. Right, right, yeah. That's when you're, that's when you're, that's when you're a moron. Well, that's just not, like not, utter cynicism to see everything that is everything else. It's cynicism and it's also... Um, it's not seeing at all, right? Isn't it's not finely grained, right? Right, right. and everybody like, does this to certain degrees, right? I mean, I think this gets. I mean, you have to train yourself out of this. Right? I think it goes very much to what you were saying about that. When we read any work, our first associations are going to be um, our immediate um, assumptions based on the paradigms in which we were raised. Those things we think about already. We're going to read into anything a, a large number of things that we might already think to be true in some given way, right? Right. And all these more covert or more like kind of um, these meanings that are are between episodes, right? Like, which is to say, like, um, you know, thinking about the meaning of laughter, not in terms of just in terms of what laughter means to us. But in terms of the different ways that laughter occurs in the text, right? And then you can, and then if you kind of com- like add all those up in, a, in like like a statistical way, almost you can find um, very fine grained differences between these these very subtle subtle um, versions of something that before didn't have all this possibility for meaning, right? Because possibility for how grains you can get, right? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's the whole ball game even though that takes forever because it just takes it just takes cuz 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 when you when you get there, then the the details are always going to be more important generalization, you know? Yeah. Even I find this even in my in my, my regular life. I mean, it's it's pretty common, right? That's how we generally do that's how we, I mean, and this so an evolutionary biology is helpful even here. Because I think that the normal situation, human situation is fear and disgust and a sort of, um, a sort of primary attitude of suspicion where we require ready-made models to interpret a world that, that, that might um, clamp down on us in, a, in in very disastrous ways, right? Right. Like it's a very comfortable world where that one looks out of to make dis- to, to to distinguish from other things. Yeah, right. Because when you go into a room, it's very useful to just read it rapidly to protect yourself, right? Right. Uh, the fact that the one guy who's approaching you who, who resembles a wolf might be the kindest person there. Isn't it's it's not it's not the best strategy to assume that immediately, right? Right, absolutely. So you know, so this is why reading is required, really, right? Because right. the reading is like a is like a mock um, play or, or a game, 
right? Where if you if you if you get to the hundredth page and you find out you've read poorly, you're not like destroyed like you are in the real world when when the right. woman you love or the friend you've trusted or your business partner fucks you, you know. And or, it, or, isn't that funny that that's that's the exact language we use, right? I misread that person. I completely misread that situation. Ex- yeah, it is exactly the language you use. And um, and the weird thing about about it too is that the fact that misreading is a possibility, um, what it creates is the inverse, right? It creates people who are more eager to read quicker and to be more certain, so that they so that so that they never encounter this 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 situation in which in which things get misread. And what happens is sloppy reading. Then it's like you know, it's it, it's inevitable then that, that everything is going to be misread yeah. because you you now aren't reading anymore yeah. because you're so you're so frightened that you have that that you're no longer um, correctly suspending judgment, right? Oh, and that's exactly where reading is today in, in college, right? With the where with the turn that critical theory has taken, they're not reading with a dis with with a with um with a suspension of anything right they're reading with with um with the same lens of like a prosecutor reads yeah with the prosecuting angel right De- definitely and i think i definitely agree with that because um and it's a very difficult thing right because um if you're reading and the stakes are so high like if when you misread you're like a, a god awful human being that's subjugating ninety percent of the population. It's, then you're, I mean, it's 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 it is very. It's like you know, there's like a gun to your head when you read. You know that there's this that there's these terrible stakes. You know, um, the stakes are pretty terrible in a different way if you read in like in like a bloomy in perspective, right? Right. The stakes I think are much more terrible on a on a on what I would call a real level, which is. If you don't read well, you are not an imaginative person, and that everything you touch is a parody of what somebody else does. Right? That right. you you're you're a, you're a nightmare. Right? You you trap reality in an inferior framework because you don't have the capacity of somebody else to think. Well, yeah, and what a flawed view that is of the world because the world is I mean, three-dimensional, four-dimensional. People are so multidimensional, if you, and then all that does is train you to look at everything as completely one-dimensional. Yeah, well, I mean... Um, I mean, I think it's just a lot of the times the things we do, and this is why, you know, games are so crucial to human existence... But I hate it. But there's always something at stake. You know? It's yeah. fucked up, but it's true. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the people who are so serious, none of us like the people that remind us of that. No. Unless we do it in, like, really kind of perf- performative ways where, 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 where what's at stake is at least leavened by a kind of, like, joyful kind of, like, uh, performance. Right. Right. But nobody wants the broken man to come before you and say that you too might become broken, you know, like... Right. I prefer David Goggins uh, on Instagram and telling me I'm a bitch. Exactly. I mean, everybody prefers that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, because even, you know, it's... Yeah, that's a big thing, right? Like, um, you know, why... 
I've always wondered about this too. I mean, this is probably we should probably shouldn't go there because this is probably a whole different conversation. But why those people? Who those people? What audiences guys like that appeal to, and why they're they're in why and what exactly it is that that they're in such high um, demand. I don't uh, think they really my my. If I had to really analyze it, I don't think they appeal to anybody. I think they only appeal to other successful people. Nobody on the other side of that that's not doing good really wants to hear some guy yelling at you calling you a bitch. Well, I feel like almost the opposite, that the only people who listen to those people are people who feel they're not doing that great. Yeah, you might be right. And so what, do you think that's a certain kind of, um, like there's just something kind of masochistic about it? Like you like, you like to have somebody tell you how pathetic you are? I think there is, to be honest. Yeah. You know, because uh, there's a silver lining in it. Because meanwhile, this guy's telling you how horrible you are. He also was that horrible. And he always reminds you that, of that. That's part of it. It also can potentially take the pressure off. Right. Uh, this guy did it. I could do it to one day. Yeah, I can do it to one day. One day. Or, or there's also the unfortunate, you know, like where, where people leave listening to those things pumped up before they even get to the thing itself. Uh, to me, right. it, com- it completely debilitates me. Me too. I see I, him I, running I, with his shirt off with a backpack in the middle of the heat. He's got weights in the backpack, and he's talking shit to the camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm struggling to send an email. Oh, yeah, it's outrageous. But right. I think it's... Yeah, I think it definitely begins in a, in a sort of... Um, I, uh, often in a certain self-disappointment... Which yeah. then can be easily transferred to other people, right? Where you know, even there's a moral superiority there, right? Which is just, like, all of you guys who are like, you know, who are suggesting fucking asshole, <laughs> right? Right. It's a bizarre kind of, of, of a superiority, you know. It's like you know, yeah. It's like the I think Mike Tyson talk about how only human beings will drink poison and then look at other people and say, "Look at what you made me do." <laughs> yeah. All the, it's fucking. It's very. It's you know. I, I don't even like. I, I'm, I'm interested in almost everything. That part of human beings, I hate reading or learning about. <laughs> like the weird shit that that like that appears in like in like on like the most popular porno categories, right? <laughs> Which suggests the obvious thing that these things are fucking like. It's like a census. It's like a census keeping, right? So the fact that that when you look at just these categories, that first of all that that like you know like. The Pornhub being the most popular site on the internet by like a lot, <laughs> and the bizarre scenarios that are like the most popularly searched. Right. It's just way too vulgar a revelation of how fucked up the people around you. I don't want to know that. You know, even though I want to know, I, I have like the Faust, I would make the Faustian bargain. Maybe <laughs> not because I don't want to know that 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 the guy next to me is dressed up in like a tutu. It. I don't want to know that. No, 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 no. That's too. It's too much. It's a too much looking in. Yeah, yeah. And that's the part where I just like you know I I could I do definitely check out where I just say like I, I maybe I even maybe there's even a naive thing where I'm like maybe that wouldn't even be a possibility if you didn't know these things right like if you weren't exposed to all these bizarre possibilities of human kind of. Uh, you know the 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 masochistic pull, right? 
or the sadomasochistic pole. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, the, this the the more you see versions of humanity, the kind of the, the the more uncertain you are with like your own sense of a stable self, because all of these things become possibilities for you. Absolutely, and you know who lives in that world is like first D, the writer D. H. Lawrence, and then Camille Paglia, who really comes from the from the Lawrence tradition. Which is the which is the way men and women are in a constant power struggle, that has nothing to do with a very kind of, um, I would say, like bleached or like it has nothing to do with simply like means of of of, of like representation or these very like intellectual sort of like softening, you know, because even like the Marxist rhetoric or, or social rhetoric is very delicate compared to reading like the Marquis de Sade or something like that, you know? Or like, even like what Lawrence and Paulia about how men and women torment each other in a power struggle, you know? Right. And those things I find very uncomfortable, even though very interesting in terms of how power is always at play in terms of and when man worships, um, you know, um, and just the, the fact that what we're what we're constantly in search of search of is a kind of equal, right? How when when man meets an inferior, man will play with that thing as if it's its own food, whether that thing's a mate or otherwise, you know. Um, totally. A kind of, a, how there is almost an inherent hatred for weakness. I'm not talking about like like, like gentleness, which which is not weakness uh, at all. No, like a physical but, but, but weakness. Be Even an intellectual weakness or spiritual weakness. Right. right? And that's where misogyny comes from more than anything else. Is I, I know that. I've experienced it. I, I, yeah. I, the, uh, the hate, a hatred for somebody who sees you at your most despicable. Yeah. And you don't want them to go forward with that knowledge, right? It's like yeah. it's like a mob boss killing like, so, who had intel. I mean... Oh man, I lost you in that last part. Oh, uh, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's transition to numbers then. That's oh, a weird transition, but yeah, we'll get back to that because that's that's human life. It's human life 101. That's the ongoing you know? discussion of the podcast, though, right? We're always coming back to that. Yeah, but but that kind of antagonism in general—that life is an agon, as an antagonism between man and father, man and mother, man and mentor antagonism between man and woman between woman that is a very unfortunate thing that no most people aren't there they can't talk about it you know they they just don't want to i don't want to either but that's but that that's eric weinstein will never be able to get at that sam harris will never be able to get at that that's only you're only going to find that really in, in 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 literature of a certain kind right because who wants to i mean because what what public intellectual can actually... You can't get... I mean, who's going to listen to you if your argument is that, right? If, if, if that's your great contribution is that we're all fraught in this kind of endless conflicts, right? Like, what these guys do seems to me like these kind of, these guys kind of kind of stick their heads up and say, oh, well, I figured it out, and it's, it's X, Y, Z, right? And, and, oh, yeah. the, and the X, Y, Z is always better than what we thought it was. 
Yeah, they never talk about why somebody loves one child more than another. Right. Or or why somebody won't care for a friend who's loyal to them because another one's more charismatic. Right. 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 Or or what we really are. You know, I mean, they, they don't give a fuck about all that stuff, you know, because, right. because it's much easier just to, 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 to like to, to boil all human, you know, all human frailties down to like that, just the, the racist and sexist things, which are so general. They're not, they don't even, they can't even really get at what's bad about us to begin with. They're really just evasions. Yeah, they're evasions. Yeah. I love how the, we'll get to numbers right now, but I just love how the people that, that are the most interested in having those conversations are so oft, often detestable to the people around them. And this right. is what I've always found, you know, it's just like, you know, it's like we, they'll do anything for human rights, but, the, but they'll run the people around them into the ground just like anybody else, or they have no right. interest in that. Right, but the, yeah, they'll treat people at restaurants like shit. They'll treat people that work for them like shit. Exactly. I mean, power worship. You know, people say they're above it, but how many people do you know that, that, that are so above it that they prefer the kind of like morally sound guy who's totally uninteresting? <laughs> yeah. The Nobody in the world likes that person. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, right. But he but gets anyways, all the girls. What's that? But he usually gets all the girls. The morally uninteresting guy? Yeah. I mean, not even. I mean, like... Who gets all the girls? I mean, I don't even know. I mean, I think usually... I don't even know. I think even the guys who have these, like, uh social agendas who are who let's say they are kind of um what's the word like virtue signaling mm-hmm. right in order to get girls right even they are going to make social justice sexy right they're not gonna they're not gonna kind of like they're gonna have the rousseauist kind of notion of like of a whole new world baby <laughs> <laughs> New world isn't porridge for you and me day and night. The new world isn't constant prayer where only once a month we touch each other. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as you sign on the dotted line. And this new world is going to be so good, baby. You and it's going to be, you know. Yeah. All right. Talk to me about numbers. All right. That was, that was good. But. Um, numbers, so, yeah, so this is just, well, this one's just interesting, right? Because it's just, um... Well, it's just kind of the blessing. Because it's just, it's just like the, the first... Yeah, you're cutting out a little, do you still hear me? I hear you, I'm, I, my bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it so, is, I, I guess think... So, the other two portions kind of deal with, um... Might be my computer, too. I think it's my, um... Yeah, you're cutting what, out again. I think it's because Zoom, after a while, heats up my laptop. It, like, overheats it. That could be. Yeah. Yeah, let me plug my computer, too, because I'm just, like, I'm at kind of lower battery, so that could be part of it, too. Okay. Let's go upstairs and we'll plug it. (laughs) You know what's a hard man is to be an honest person. No, it's impossible. Yeah, it's you well, know it, I mean, it, it, ex, it it exposes every aspect of you. Yeah, and most people don't really think well enough 
to really suffer the consequences of what it means, you know? Yeah. That's just the truth, right? Because I say, you know, it's hard to be honest, but they don't even really know enough to really um, to really suffer for it, right? Just to say, I'm going to be honest, and then they'll, they'll say something that's kind of uh, already obvious enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so, okay, so, yeah, so I was interested in this, right? So what happens in this, like, very quick, almost, like, ritual command, right? There's just three things to talk about, right, really? So several different kinds of sacrifice are already um, described. Um, then there's the blowing of the shofar, right? Which is the horn, right? The horn, right? I think... Um, it occurs in several crucial places. I think I think Joshua blows the horn famously, for, and the walls of Jericho kind of kind of kind of, kind of come tumbling down. Um, but here's just a note from uh, from Robert, the translator Robert Alter. He says, "A day of trump trumpeting, um, the Hebrew teruah, in all likelihood refers to the sound of the ram's horn, the shofar, a blast. The ram's horn were used in coronation ceremonies, and as Moshe Weinfeld plausibly argues." The festival was probably linked with other ancient Near Eastern festivals that enacted an annual coronation of the prince deity. It is quite possible that as the biblical faith evolving toward the form it took in rabbinic Judaism became more monotheistic, theological, and less centered in agriculture, this theme of God's kingship um, led to the adoption of the first day of the seventh month as the beginning of the year. The time when God's majestic rule is ceremonially acknowledged and humanity vows fealty and submits itself, there are Near Eastern precedents to divine judgment. Mm. Right, so this being like an example of kind of the evolution of, of, of monotheism, right? This turn to the celebration of one God. Yeah, well, that's what Judaism is in general, right? I mean, I think there is that, that first like uh, Egyptian parallel Right where there's like um, I can't remember what it is I think it's Atin Atin I don't ever know how to say it right Yeah 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 That's where Freud thinks Moses was a, a, a the governor right or a mayor or like a small Oh yeah well that that, that late Freud book yeah, yeah that that's a weird book but I think yeah I think you're right but uh, well because even Freud, even Moses is is a uh, is like um, it's an Egyptian name, for, name. Yeah like like Fusmos yeah. uh, right um, also I think it means like of the waters but there is a sense in which yeah where you know, Moses. Um, yeah, well, we could talk about that's a, that's a whole different that's a whole different discussion, right? But but yeah, but the crucial thing here that I, I'm very interested in um, is this sense of um, two things, and then and we can talk about them quickly because we, we've gone a little bit. But just this, these two things, right? Uh, the first is in the cycle of the year being a foundational. Um, repertoire, uh, repository for human meanings, right? Um, Each day well, corresponds to certain events and rituals that should be repeated every year on the same time and the same day. Exactly. What, and well, and especially um, what was called the Cambridge Myth School, which was very kind of influential at the beginning of the 20th, uh, 20, uh, 20th century. There was just a notion because anthropology had just emerged in terms of uh, of a field in its own, right? So there's just a notion of what people were like before, you know, let's say Western tradition as we know it was was founded. 
So just the notion of how much of what we do began in agricultural contexts, right? And then were removed to contexts which were no longer agricultural, right? Right. So everything from, from like the, the Dionysian ceremony is a crucial one. Right. Uh, a crucial one that, that, that occurs in Fraser um, and other people is, is, the, is what's called the, the dying god. Um, the dying god simply being like, um, like um, there's, there's a few different versions, I think, um, in different cultures, right? But the god of vegetation, right? Right. The god of the previous year who dies into a new birth. Right. The, I was just going to say that the rebirth. Right. Well, that's what the sense is and in, in, in that, that very old uh, symbolic way of looking at it is, you know, you pass through a year of dearth where the living god dies only to return or to be revived in the new harvest. Right. Right. That's, that's long before any Christ, Christological or spiritual version of rebirth. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, so the, I just think that's very – there's this notion – and there's also a notion of – in a, um, I guess in the agricultural world, there are several deities, right? It, it's, it's always going to be pantheistic or, or, or where nature itself being divine. Because there's, there's all these elements that are critical. Yeah, there's all these elements that are critical and all those critical elements are going to be part of the picture, but there's going to be a principal deity. Right. right, right. Before, before you know, monotheism, where there's where there's only one deity, and then different appearances, right? Because when there's only one a de- when there's only one deity, everything that appears is no is only divine in the sense that it's revelatory of that god itself, right. not not separate, like not like as if it has its own existence, right? Right, it's an emanation or something of that of that one. Exactly, but I, th- I just find that very interesting of how. Um, just because I just thought about this and just in different things I read and stuff, I just of that departure from the agricultural cycle, and 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 these cycles that we may have had in kind of like tribal times or pre, um, pre civilization as we know it, you know, before the city, before the place. Yeah, like um, what was the work week like? Yeah, well, even I read a book that talked about that, right, that even before the industrial of electric lighting, right, and of gas lamp, right, that d- the day and night cycle was still intact, right? So um, so there is a kind of an insomnia even to the technological advance of something like, you know, the, the possibility of the gas lamp and then, and then working into night in a kind of artificial day, you know? Right. So those old cycles, you know, and even there's a book about the um, about the innovation of clock time, right? About you know, I mean, we wonder why our ancestors had had like you know this astro astrological sensibility, right? But they were really attuned to certain um, to the natural world in a, in, a, in, a, in a way in which we're attuned to very different markers. Right, because that's what we're, we're really in search of, right? Are markers, right? So, yeah. distinguishing um, points. Distinguishing points, but I find that that very interesting in the sense of, um, well, it just it just kind of there's so much suggested there, right? And how much um, is still in our vocabulary that has its roots in a different different 
way of life. Um, well, even I've the even days t- of the week, right? The names, the names for the days of the week, right? Like Saturday and Sunday are these, the Sabbath and then the Sunday. Yeah, right. And each and each um, with their own gods, right? Exactly, obviously, right? It's, yeah. It's Sunday, Saturday for Saturn, of course. And then we go to Th- uh, Thor for Thursday. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's interesting. This number seven, too, right? I guess things are divided that way because of the cycles of the moon. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, because I think there's the moon is fourteen. If I'm right. not mistaken. Right. So that that's pro- that's probably why the number seven um, has this heightened meaning. But even that goes on to take its own um, uh, um, to to kind of um, elaborate um, in different directions in terms of its own abstract or numerical sort of kind of function, right? Why do they call numbers numbers? Why is this section called that? Um, I think, let me see. I'm sure this explains why. Reckonings. So, um, hmm. it's, um, the general, uh, the, the Hebrew title is uh, Bemi, Bemi Bar, which is simply the first common noun in the text in the wilderness, um, the priestly writer's enthusiasm for pageantry is manifested in this great initial roll call of the tribes. Mm. Uh, picked up in the review of the order of their march through the wilderness in chapter ten, and in the elaborately repetitive rehearsal of the gifts of the twelve chieftains in chapter tw- in chapter seven. Mm. Um, maybe that's why I- I'm not sure exactly sure, but maybe it is because numbers in the sense of. Of marking, uh, like you said, the the markers or the distinguishing points of these new people. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. beautiful. So you said your two points. What was the what was the third point that you wanted to mention? Yeah, so just the third point. So so the first point was just simply like uh, simply that right that that the, the ritual um, recurrence of something like a day of trumpeting, in which there are these like these agricultural um, markers. That slowly over time depart from any a- a- actual sense of an agricultural cycle, right? Unless you happen to live, because there are many people in the world who still live in let's in, in areas in, in which you would have a, a, a better sense of. Right. A, I don't want to pretend like everyone's raised in California or New York. But right? most Jews are. Let's be honest. <laughs> most Jews are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the other the other question is just is a, an endless question. And it's the question of what you want to make of sacrifice. I find it very it's a it's a big riddle for me. Um just in the terms of um you know, uh what what do you, what is there to say about what sacrifice really represents in a in a uh in in, the, in antiquity and and what it what what it might mean for us now. But I would want to move in that order, right? To have a kind of pretty a, a strong sense of really its purpose in antiquity, and then from there to move to to, to to what it might mean today, you know? Yeah. And you know, there's obviously different kind of offerings, but something like a burnt offering of an, an unblemished animal being the condition of the per- uh, of the perfect sacrifice. The perfect sac- perfect here meaning simply like a complete, right? Finished in the sense of like of like. Um, but also worthy of value. 
I think worthy of value, probably synonymous here mm. with the sense that that God's handiwork is reflected in that which isn't um, hybrid for one. Right. Because there are there are prohibitions against certain animals. Right. Which which are murky animals, right? And that they move between zones, right? Like between, like a, um, it's a you know just a question of why the prohibitions exist right. towards like shellfish, for example, certain animals that don't meet certain criteria. Right. Uh, right. But anyway, so here the the, the that's all different long uh, question, but here the notion would be an unblemished calf, right? unblemished lambs and the sense of a burnt offering being total consumption by fire right and that somehow it atones for your sins yeah that, and that sense of atonement in the sense of um, what you're going to do there right because um, there's going to be a, a sense of replacement right that, that's part of it, the symbolic logic, is that it takes the place of something of something else, right, in terms of... But yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, in terms of, even just to, just to start with, and this is why, you know, it's very difficult, but when you think of sacrifice, um, where does your mind go, or what do, you, what do you think is... Why do you think sacrifice is such a strange but common feature of, 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 of cultures especially right any culture where you reach into its roots is going to have a elaborate kind of uh, tradition of sacrifice right yeah it's a great question man I love that question I mean I mean the evolution of, of just just I mean just quickly I'm, I'm but just obvious right the evolution of, of, of reason or the development of man is almost always from a culture that sacrifices to a culture that doesn't or sacrifices in an abstract or a um, or a different sense, right? right? So that transition is like is like one of the most crucial transitions that you can study in any culture. Well, it's probably like the pivotal transition that that brings a, a culture from a barbaric people to what you would say is an enlightened or civilized people, right? That's, it, that's what has been argued. That that's the that's the movement that's traced. Well, because it almost always involves a lessening degree of violence or or a violence that leaves human the human onto something else. Right, um, and then the final—it seems like the final violence it, it, when when you've really abstracted it is some kind of violence onto you, whether it's a giving up yeah. of something or, right. And I think that to me, that's one of the when you ask the question. I think it seems like what why sacrifice is so compelling is because it 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 it, it, it like in this very magical way is able to alter the future in an almost un uncountable way. Right. Um, right. So, like, if I give up my firstborn right now, I'll be blessed infinitely into the future. And there's something I think very, uh, um, there's something uh, amazing about that fact. Where, right, as hard as it might be to give up this one, this one child, the limitless nature of the of the good that comes out of that is is uh, it's like alluring. Yeah, that's definitely right. Um. Yeah, I think okay. So, so there. So you would start with with something crucial, right? And I'm very much here, like very much with a certain kind of like myth school. Um, but just the notion of okay, 
So let's start with gratuity, right? Gratuity in the sense of nature's superabundance or of, of, of both meaning and let's say um, before meaning even of um, let's just let's not even say of something it's super abundance right so there being so many animals that we couldn't possibly uh, eat them all or there being so many tree uh, so so much fruit on a tree that some of it inevitably is gonna is going to fall off and rot right right. Or the sense that nature itself is is giving in a um, in a way that's always inseparable from excess when it gives. Right, and so but, sacrifice is almost like a a, a a human created limitation on that excess, and a and a repetition of that excess in the sense that you are depleting your own store or giving of something. Gratuitously, right, right, like a consciously magical, a consciously wasting of something to gain something else. Yeah, and and that conscious wastage, and that's exactly right. That um, that wastage, which in, which in a magical sense is a replication of nature's own wastage, right? Um, and in another way, is like in the old kind of magic is a kind of um, it has the um, there's an imitative magic. In which you ask nature to keep giving, or to um, by way of your own invocation of its of its of its activities, right? Um, oh, like you you're pushing it forth with that act of waste, like in an in a mimetic way. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like I think through, that's... through waste comes more creation, right? If you're planting a garden, what do you use? You use compost to grow more, to grow the garden. So it's kind of like... Yeah, well, a... that's even a more utilitarian... That's even a more utilitarian perspective. Right, but uh, it's essentially a ritualized notion of that, of that idea. Or that... That's not even an idea. That's a fact. Exactly, exactly. And that's just where we stand now. We can, we can combine those, like the utilitarian and the magical religious, right? Wow. Um, That's beautiful. But there is even a sense of the best things of our of our life partaking in that kind of wastage, right? In the sense that everything that that that's that's excessive or gratuitous to 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 to, to function has has an element of wastage, right? Festivals, and this is the, the guy I read uh, the book about leisure mentions this. That's what festivals are crucially about. That right? Excess energy. This, this certain sense of where you wear you, you do more than you know where you say you other- got wasted what's that you literally say you got wasted right that, that that's the language we use oh yeah right. that, that is yeah that is exactly yeah it is the, the language we use right so there's like um, an, there's an embodiment of that like of that superfluity exactly um how cool man Definitely. And I guess, too, it is that notion, too, of human beings kind of being, um, of releasing themselves from their own anxiety, right? Mm. I mean, I know this, too. I mean, we talk about, like, the super rich, right? And the, and the unfortunate thing about the super rich is if, if they began as anything other than super rich, they always have the mindset they began with. Right. So, for instance, my dad is, is, is not, like, Bill Gates, but he has enough to live on 
probably for another lifetime. But he feels every he wakes up every day as if he were a poor man because he was a young man. <laughs> yeah, he and, wasn't and a young it, man when he got his money. Right, right, right. right. He, his mindset is the one he was born with, and 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 you hoard because any given day everything might be taken from you. Right, right. Um, so there is there is a, a certain hoarder's mentality, which is a defensive strategy against a world which at any moment will with without any any without will, will, will simply empty your store right which will which will um everything you've protected will go under right all those things you've set aside you know might easily burn up right that's really cool and so sacrifice is a, is a is a um it's a willful letting go before nature or time or whatever takes it from you anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we have two. So we have the willful letting go before time. T- so in one sense, it's, it's a it's a uh, um a rehearsal. But like everything is like how we rehearse to die. Even saying goodbye to somebody can feel that way sometimes. I've, I've known a uh, rehearsing departure. Right. And then it has this um, transformative right. mimetic quality wow. of perfor- performing the magical kind of um. Uh, super abundance of nature itself, right? Right, right, right. And then, you know, it gets even more complicated and, and beautiful and metaphysical when we complicate the sacrifice with the ritual, right? The, the cleaning, the cleansing, and the picking a specific age of an animal and right, the unblemished and just the whole preparation. The, the preparation and giving the absolute... It's, it's maybe related in some weird way to even that Bedouin thing. Giving the absolute best thing we have Away. as if it were nothing, right? Right. And being joyful about it. And being joyful about it um, in a way as if there's going to be more of these, right? As if it's not of any, you know... Um, well, and more because you're doing that. Which is completely but, antithetical to, like, animal logic. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> Exactly. Um, let me see. Hold on. I'm trying to find this quote real quickly. Okay. Uh, this is Robert uh, Frost's quote. Okay. About poetry, right? Um, I think I know what it is, actually. Um, one way. He says, um, strongly spent, right, is synonymous with kept. I love that, man. That's awesome. Say that again. One of the most beautiful things ever. But um, strongly spent is synonymous with kept. Wow. And that is not the same thing as the other two things we said, but it, but it relates. And it's a, it's a third dimension, right? Right. Um, when are you going to um, – so you go someplace and, uh, or you're in a relationship and it ends or you do anything. Um, and uh, if, if, it, if it was performed with a certain intensity – it remains to you in a certain way that that which was same as if it could be spent another day is not kept with you, right? Well, yeah, well, like something is gained in that complete dissolution of yourself for something noble or worthy. Yeah, and that's especially a very, um, my favorite um, um, of the additions in some ways of, of the Christian framework. Right. It's a very crucial thing. Um, you know, to he who has given will will, will gain more. 
is the notion, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, love that notion, right? He says it's diffi- more difficult for a, uh, um, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven or something like that. It's to everything allows the possibility of entering the kingdom, right? Right, that's right. Um, yeah, which is, which is very similar, right? But, um, yeah, so those are the very three very fascinating things, right? But, uh, or even four, you know, if you get, if you come so in terms of four different kind of dimensions of it, um, there are others too in the way like kings would perform it or something, or, or, or right, because, uh, a king would often perform a sacrifice, which is, I think, really just performing the function for the people, right. or, or suggesting a, a certain kind of solidity and a kind of um, national, I guess, if if you want to use that word, or public display. Hmm. Um. But yeah, but then I mean, but then you know, I mean, and and, and I know we talked long. We probably get to the end, but then you have to kind of. Um, I think then somewhere you have to bring in the more terrifying, like druidic or Mayan aspect of it, of sacrificing human beings. Where it gets right? completely out of hand. Yeah, well, and that's very frightening, right? Because that's very, um, you know, that's no less human than uh, than mom's brisket, you know? No, it's just as as, as as deeply a part of our story as as, yeah, putting your money in a piggy bank. It's fucking weird. It's, it's, I mean, not even, we, I don't even want to say that. I just, I just, it's one of those things like we were talking about before that's, it's, it's too human. Because yeah. I hate this notion of the, of the, like, because we don't do it any longer, it doesn't suggest anything about who we are. It just, it just, it's not, it suggests just as much about who we are. Well, There's just some miraculous intervention that we do something else that, that, that we don't recognize as kind of outrageous, right? Well, it's like Catholicism's great triumph, but they're still doing it, right? They eat the body of Christ, they drink the blood. Yeah, right, which is, which I'm going to get back to the old thing, right, which is just this side of cannibalism. Um, it's just this side of the old ritualistic sacrifice. They just kind of give it a, a symbolic import, right? They lighten it of its reality by giving it a imaginary um, power, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, what... Because I have a friend who I love here who was a, a very frightening guy, and, and not not in a, not in a critical way. I mean, I wouldn't want to share certain things with him because his mind is frightening, but he's also very keen at getting at things that are very uncomfortable. But he always said he would love more than anything to witness the power of a Mayan sacrifice. Oh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> we come in as Jews. Yeah, are you kidding me? No way. I want nothing to do with that. Because what I think is, I think that power, and I think there's a reason why those civilizations are completely lost to history. There's something that seems, um, that once you unleash that thirst, there's something never-ending about that. That It seems that the the evolution of the sacrifice seems to kind of have figured out that when we either symbolize it or when we turn it into something that's not human, there's a power that can remain and it's it's a manageable power right but that when you unleash the power of 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 a, of a human sacrifice that there's like a almost like there's a natural taste for blood that 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 
I don't know if it's because we're meat eaters or we, we have, you know, I don't, something very primeval comes out that's hard to kind of put the cat back on. Yeah, yeah, but it's very, especially like the Mayan or, or even the Druidic, like the, the ritualizing of it, right, where every detail is being attended, because it's maybe a little less like... Because we got to remember, they were mostly kill, sacrificing children. A lot of children and often, like, maybe a captured... Or slaves, right. Right, and slaves were often captured captured adversaries or had raised to be, had been raised for that purpose, right? No different than you would raise an animal for that purpose. Right. Um, but I guess that the wildest thing is when I think of, like, for instance, like a med- medieval execution, I think of that as a momentary suspension of a certain aspect of civilization, Totally. But when you talk about the Mayans or the, or the Druids, you're talking about the instantiation of civilization. Right. Which is re- it's yeah. That, that and that's a, that's hard to reconcile. It's it's hard to reconcile. It's very frightening, just in terms of um, exactly what you said. It's it's a sort of power, right? Especially you you remember the Mayans and, and sun worshippers, right? Um, the sun itself is this un adulterated power with check right right and and going and going out in this in these elaborate costumes um and what is it for i mean i guess in some sense it's probably for maybe if it, the function because there is a gratuitousness to even there that's probably not even just about um continued uh a, a continued sort of um Husbandry or, or or successful agriculture. It's also just about the spectacle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was associated with big festivals and parties. Yeah, and I guess about God, sort of. Um... I mean, there's always something. There's almost something extremely modern in that, right? Like you said, how it's the instantiation of civilization. It's almost yeah. no different than like the rave today, right? Nobody goes to a rave for spiritual enlightenment. They go to 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 get as drunk or high as humanly possible. Well, that's where people always wonder, and like and like you know, nowadays you would see it in like kind of a bad movie. Like, I like movies, right? But like notion of man or something as something where we could return to those frightening kind of like um you know the roots of the sacrificial cult right Right. there's a lot of b movies that do that or something like that right right right. (laughs) yeah um i would say this i mean this is kind of well first of all i just what is that i just i mean because i'm just kind of unsatisfied i mean i'm sure it's been written about a lot maybe Maybe um, reading a book about it would be helpful, but what is that 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 is so is is it that is it being a meat eater is it um I mean, what is it the way you watch a human being devoured as if they were nothing and everybody because that's part of it right is the part of it is both the fact that human life is something sacred and throwing it away because it is the most sacred thing right because even there even in the Mayan ceremony. The fact that the human being is what sacrifices because the human being is the most sacred of all things. Absolutely. So you take what's most sacred and inviolable or inviolate and then you violate it with total impunity, right? Right. On the name of the God because the God doesn't give a fuck about human life. 
But God is... But in a sense, needs that life to sustain human life, right? That's the, the other paradox. Yeah, right? that is the paradox. Um, it needs that life to sustain, but it also... Um, yeah, I mean, even like... Uh, I don't know, it's just... It just um, it's still kind of strange to me. I, th- I feel like I feel like there's something about it I don't quite understand. You know. Well, maybe we need to do a whole episode on sacrifice. I mean, I, yeah, definitely. But, but but what? Just just the last kind of comment. It, I don't know. I mean, is there is there any even just putting yourself in the position as hard as that is? What is the excitement there in terms of seeing somebody carried forward and, and then and then sacrificed? I think there's a. Um... I think there's almost a probably an or like a, I would say almost like an orgasmic realization that it's not you, right? Like a joy that you're not the one being sacrificed, right? Um, and then like a collective kind of um, a collective joy in that it, it's not you or or your people; it's it's somebody else. I believe actually, though, in some. Um Indigenous, like um, Amazonian sacrifices. Yeah, they're like, giving their children, and yeah, that, you're absolutely right. Well, I think even though sometimes um, the sacrificer will ritually create a, a bond with the person they're sacrificing before they sacrifice. Wow, which is even uh, even more bizarre, right? Which is to create a weird umbilical or just or, or a weird symbolic unity. Between yourself and said to say you are sacrificing for our behalf and I am you, and then to sacrifice them. Well, I mean Joseph Campbell talks about a really interesting uh, ritual where um, this is somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa. It's um, two teenagers, a, a male and a female, just enter into um, adulthood. They have to um, enter into a holy little uh, shack where they're supposed to copulate. Yeah, and then I think uh, they the the tribe removes like the beams holding the shack in to, together, and there they kill them. Like the the building collapses on them, and they die. And this is what cultures are they? This is, a sub, is this is uh, I'm not specific. I just know it's somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa. Hmm. Right, so there's this in one in one act you have the, you have birth and death, you have creation and destruction. I think that is a big part of it. That I think trying our best to enact that full circle within the very um, it pushes the edge, it pushes representation to its edge. Right, right. Because right. death in general. Both in different ways. Life because of its gratuity, like I said. Life because of how much. Life because of its excess, and death because of privation or or, or what or, or its limits are both impossible to represent. Right. So, and because of their unity, because life and death are unified in a way which is mysterious to human understanding. Yeah, right. Dependent on one another too eternally. Right. So, so I think these just what you're saying. This rounded picture. Rather than a half picture or a limited picture of man's journey, right, has to be kind of captured in this in, in the in, in in the cycle you're talking about, or in, um, well, it's really wild, right? I mean, just even the sense of um, 
We watch babies be born, but there's a slight taboo even today against watching a man die, right. although we do do it. Right. Or even kind of the the, the ritualization of like um, of like of reality TV. Like the, uh, we've kind of sacrificed these people to to make fools of themselves for our own entertainment, and there's something kind of cathartic about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I went on my it's yeah, definitely, but I don't know. I mean, even from your sense, right? What I went on my Facebook feed yesterday and there's a girl, girl I don't worship, but she said she was doing her the announcement of the gender of her baby on Facebook. Book. It, so for me, for me, I'm like, what? Uh, first of all, it's just it's 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 a little fuck. I mean, if you if you come from the mindset that, that you and I probably have, it's a it's a little bit much already, right? That right. that you know. All, any acquaintance she made is waited with bated breath to find out that the the, the person that this person is going to be most intimate with the gender of their of the fucking baby, right? So right. everybody, it's a boy. <laughs> you know, um, that's one thing. Another thing that we do, I guess, I I just don't even. It's weird to me. What's but you know? Imagine somebody like me. I've only ever used Facebook for personal things, like here are quotes that nobody likes. Imagine if you went on Facebook one day, right? And it was a video for me. I said, uh, hi, everybody. Um, sorry, I just uh, wanted to make a brief video. Uh, I just got back from the doctor. I have um, testicular cancer. Um, I know you guys have been, have been with me along the whole journey. You guys have, you know, when I was reading Harold Bloom, you were there with me. When I was reading Emerson, you were there with me. Um, I know you guys have been there with me all along. Um, we're gonna, we're about to the last leg of the journey, guys. I'm gonna be dying next week. Uh, I'm gonna be posting a video every day. I hope I hope uh, to give. I hope you guys are here uh, to share it with me. <laughs> this is the self, the public self sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just something about about dying in the public eye and about the about the formalizing of it, right? Because it goes back to our conversation about appearances. All appearances in some way or another are formal, whether we want to heighten that formality or we want to pretend that they're or, 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 uh, identify the natural aspect is that which is most important, right? Right. Yeah. So, right, even that would be a highly formalized way of handling a natural process, right? Even though it wouldn't be the same thing as this collapse of the building, right? Right, but that seems to be how we make sense of things is we highly formalize them and then ritualize them. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think I got to end yeah. it here. Yeah, no, we've gone a long time. We'd, it's just these subjects are so are so interesting. Endlessly interesting, uh, man. Yeah, if, if I didn't have to help the fam prepare dinner, I'd keep going. Oh, no, the brisket has to, I mean, that's the sacrifice. That's an obvious kind of sacrifice, right? Sacrifice to the family, right? Yeah, yeah. So let me, let me, um, let me stop here. <laughs>